Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Anna. And I'm Caroline. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously, which is a very special episode because Caroline, right now, you're on your holes. I am indeed. I'm talking to you from beyond the beach or something, <laughs> if that's a thing. Lol. But we have pre-recorded a special episode for you in which we are going to, as we've been long promising, go back and talk about some of the series that we have now finished after reviewing them on Seriously. Yeah, because often we do a TV show for like the week that it's out so that everyone's kind of like enjoying the vibe and sharing in the hype. And that means that quite often we haven't got to the end or sometimes even past the first couple of episodes when we're talking about it. So it's nice to have an opportunity to say like, okay... Hi listeners, you've all caught up, we've all caught up, here is a spoiler-filled discussion of the season as a whole, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So we've got a whole bunch of kind of favourites from the past few months, haven't we? Yeah, and we should say that the system for selecting what shows we talk about in this special are the ones that we wanted to carry on with. Yeah, just like of our own accord. Yeah, exactly. So we haven't like planned this for months and months, we just, you know, Anna and I on our own after we'd done the required watching for seriously if we carried on watching it we're now going to talk about it we haven't like forced this yeah so i'm sure there will be some missed out that you wanted to hear but this is just the way the dice falls you know this is how the cookie crumbles yeah also this is our podcast and we'll do what we want <laughs> so <laughs> Sassy Caroline. so we're gonna start with master of none which we talked about the first few episodes of it on episode 92 back in the second week of May, if you want to go back and compare and contrast our opinions. A great vintage. From a great then. seriously episode. <laughs> and we have now both watched all of Master of None. Yes, we have. I can't remember how far we really got with our chat the first time. I think maybe we'd watched like a handful each. I think I'd only watched two. I think I'd watched the, the two Italian ones. Yeah, which are strong openers to the season. They are very strong. You know, the, the first one, which is all in black and white and is mm -hmm. all called The Thief, which I still think about as like a really excellent piece of TV making. But from episode three onwards, Dev is back in New York. He's back doing his job as the host of TV game show Clash of the Cupcakes. Great show. <laughs> And we're back into familiar Master of None territory. You know, we're talking about dating and friendship and family. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting the kind of arc that this season has, because when I was watching, I think probably four seriously, I watched like the first five episodes and I was like, I want to write a piece about this, about taste in the show, because obviously mm. food is in it so much and people talk about the presentation of food. But I was like, but it's all about taste it's about going to a nice restaurant for the lifestyle element as well as the food it's about having a girl who looks like she's out of an italian movie it's about meeting this charismatic tv executive and being completely charmed by the fact that he brings a nice bottle of champagne to when he comes and meets you and like has his has you around his house and john legend's playing the piano and like everyone looks amazing and he's eating a piece of ham like this is the best ham you've ever had you've got to mm. have it that is like a, a taste-based fantasy of like, oh, we lead these elegant lives where everything is gorgeous and tasteful. And I was like, is that a bit like, not shallow, because it's obviously got depth, this program, but is it is it interested in that more than it's interested in like characters and people and stuff? 
And as the season goes on, you're like, oh no, that's not true. It's like actually very self-aware of like the fact that Dev is interested in these things and does have this part of his personality where he gets kind of caught up and falls in love with these kinds of surface elements of people and their charm. But I thought that there was a couple of plot lines that really pulled that apart in interesting ways, but you just don't get it until more towards the end. Mm. So his relationship with Francesca and the sort of Anthony Bourdain-esque celebrity chef, Chef Jeff, both those relationships become more like put under the microscope towards the final episodes. And I have to say, spoilers, as all our discussions will have this week, I thought the kind of like undoing of Chef Jeff was amazing. I thought that was great. I thought it was fantastic, yeah. And such a nuanced portrayal by Aziz Ansari of like a man who thinks he is woke becoming woker yeah and they also gave us all the hints like Mm. up front it's not like suddenly there's an episode where all this stuff is revealed like we saw his bad behavior and i thought it was kind of like a dodgy portrayal of like this slightly misogynistic slightly aggressive man as just charming and it's good that they like were doing really good work by like laying the foundations to later be like this is problematic behavior and like what do you do when someone that you know is accused of something like that when you know that actually it's not as simple as being like no i think he's a good guy (laughs) yeah he you know dev's seen what he's like really he's seen the way he talks to women and so on and then Mm -hmm. in the is it penultimate and the last episode where you know a friend he's made on the show who's a makeup artist like tells him very straightforwardly why she has changed work assignment because of the way that chef jeff was harassing her and like following her and being really inappropriate and putting her career in danger and he just has to go like oh yeah yeah i did know this yeah and he's aligned himself to him like Mm. it's really funny obviously because it's master of none it is really funny the way they do it so there's all these posters all around town of dev like in chef jeff's arms captured like bff's best food friends yeah (laughs) but it's uh, it's just you know then there's nothing he can do about that it's too late but he does you know say i completely condemn this behavior and i believe the women which is obviously good but you do there is space for you to criticize Dev and it's not just because Dev is like the the lead that you have to completely agree with everything that he's done. Like I, I think it suddenly became morally complex and morally nuanced in a way that I wasn't a hundred percent expecting from master of none. And I just thought that phrase like best food friends and then them being like, they weren't best friends at all mm. is a really good way of being like, obviously this show is about more than just like Dev and Arnold going out and like eating food in Italy. And like, it, it's deeper than that. It's, yeah. you can't just be best food friends. That's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. The same goes for his relationship with Francesca, where I think maybe based on the first few episodes, you might think like, oh, she's going to leave her Italian fiance and like move to America and she and Dev mm-hmm. are going to have a really attractive people romance. Mm. But that's not what happens. You know, she comes over to America with her fiance and proceeds to have a kind of emotional affair with Dev Mm -hmm. in which they do loads of couple stuff together, you know, completely non-physically, you know, going to beautiful restaurants and going to lovely outings. And he's completely falling for her and he knows it. And he's talking to Arnold about it the whole time, but he has no idea what she thinks or how she feels, Mm -hmm. but she just keeps behaving in ways that let him continue to believe in the fantasy and then when they finally actually have the confrontation about it it's so incredibly emotionally charged and you never quite get the catharsis from it because you don't really get an ending but that's what's so brilliant about it I think because that if anyone has ever been involved in that kind of romantic situation I feel like everyone has everyone has you know because it's everyone's worst fear right to have to say to someone I really like you and then then be surprised and not Mm. agree that you can both know you're being absurd but also continue to allow there maybe hints to fuel what you're thinking yeah and I think often in those dynamics it's not just like you it is the Mm. other person engaging with that in some way even if it's not super conscious and I think they do a really good job of showing that. And to get like into the gender politics of this, as we often do on Seriously, although it's kind of, you know, we don't always want to kind of have to view something through a feminist lens, but let's do it anyway. I saw a lot of people kind of criticizing the Francesca role as being a bit of a manic pixie dream girl, being mm. a fantasy, not a real person, which is so true. And I think also the point, also what Aziz Ansari is doing on purpose But then I also get the frustration because how many times do we have to see that and it be the point before we get bored of it and say, like, can't we actually just have like a fleshed out woman character? So 
I, th- that's like a complicated area and one I kind of see both sides of. But sometimes you're just moved by something mm-hmm. anyway. And I was really moved by the whole plot line. There were just some moments that really kind of, it always feels stupid to say like it, it transcended the format because TV is obviously like probably our main, like mainstream artistic field now. But that shot, which I know is kind of a cheap, like, ooh, arty director, let's have a really, really long shot. But the long shot in the back of the taxi where he realises how in love with her he is and that song is playing, is it by Kraftwerk? Oh, that just got me so much. I thought it was great. We've all been there where you're like, oh, God. Oh, God, no, not this. Not I don't need this in my life right now. Fuck, I actually really have feelings for this person. Ooh, this is great. <laughs> and it, it sh- he's so sad. And I don't feel like you see Aziz Ansari doing that much like acting in yeah. this program. It's kind of like Aziz Ansari being Aziz Ansari. But he's doing like proper acting in that moment and it works. It really works. And yeah, I felt super emotional in that scene. And then throughout the final two episodes with his whole thing with Francesca really the jump cut they have to them being in bed Mm. and it being that kind of like graduate style like oh how do we feel about this it's too late now but we're kind of not 100% in it that final shot I just bawled I just sobbed that I don't know how it got me so bad but it really really got me because what do you think's happened in that last scene obviously they've left it deliberately ambiguous yeah we've seen her have her big confrontation with her fiance Pino and we are led to believe that she has left him Mm. And then, as you say, jump cut to her lying on top of the covers in... Is she on top of the covers? I think maybe under. Oh, she may be under the covers. And Dev seems to be asleep. But and he's not really. But he's not really. And she's like lying, looking straight up at the camera, which is on the ceiling for this. And then that's yeah. the end of the whole series. Yeah, I think because some people were like, maybe it's just a dream. And like, it didn't. I think it really happened. And for me, that is like the classic graduate ending where it's like, oh, we're so happy. We're going to like do this. And then it's like, actually are we happy about this or do we just did we just do this because it was a fantasy and now we actually don't really know what we want at all that's how i read it that she does leave pino she does like come over to dev's apartment and it's like i'm here i you can have me now Mm. like we can be together and you know in the kind of first hormonal flash of like we're a couple they go to bed and then later on she's like am i really moving to another country for a virtual stranger Mm -hmm. because we had some nice days out yeah what am i thinking definitely and i think if season three comes around i i would be interested to see like what happens after kind of Mm -hmm. like the adrenaline burns out like then what are you to each other i don't know they it just captured those emotions for me so well like the scene where they're sort of like trying to kiss through the glass Mm. instead of actually kiss and you're like it's one of those things where you're like well you've you're basically already there like what difference does it make but also it still does make a difference actually those kind of conflicts i don't know i just thought it was great mm-hmm. we should probably talk about some of the other episodes though that we didn't get around to like thanksgiving which was a really popular episode that was excellent so that was uh something that this series of master of none did do was it had little diversions off away from the main storyline and one of them was this i guess you'd call it a bottle episode in the sense that it all took place in denise's mom's house mm-hmm. denise being dev's best friend you gonna tell your mom Being gay isn't something black people love to talk about. I'm just glad you're in college and you ain't pregnant and on drugs. You ain't gotta worry about me getting pregnant. I'm not gonna get pregnant because I don't like having sex with men. Have you tried it? No. All right, you know Erica? White Erica or black Erica? Nah, mixed Erica. Oh yeah, I know mixed Erica. She's cute. I like her. I have a crush on her. Wait, are are you trying to tell me that you're, you know? Lebanese. Wait, you're from Lebanon? No, I just, I don't know how to, I'm not comfortable with the word, uh, lesbian. All right, so we'll say you're Lebanese. Ma. Mm-hmm. I'm gay. You what? I'm gay.
I've always been gay. But I'm still the same person. I'm still your daughter. Nothing's changed. Me being gay is like tarnishing her trophy. Some black people think being gay is the choice. And when they find out that their kid is gay, they try to figure out what they did wrong. I just, I don't want life to be hard for you. It is hard enough being a black woman in this world. Now you want to add something else to that. It's not like this was my choice. I think it's cool you're a Lebanese trophy. Thanks, dude. Damn, this has been an intense talk. It showed Thanksgiving at different times in their lives, so starting when they're like little kids and then going right through to the present day. Yeah, did you realise it was Denise straight off? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I was did like, who's, who is this family? I like oh. just didn't really... I was like, who's this family? And like, is that Dev? And then like he starts speaking and you're like, okay, it's Dev. Like, where is he? Who are these people to him? And it wasn't until they got quite a bit older that I was like, oh, this is Denise. Like, because oh. she looks so different and she's so like, it's kind of like this little feminine child at the beginning. And then you basically see her go through different periods in her life as she's like coming to accept the fact that she's gay and like experimenting with how she dresses or whatever or trying to bring home women to her family home and see what her mother how her mother handles that and so then obviously it comes to a point where you're like oh this is Denise but for me I don't know I quite like I liked the that there it wasn't too overdone at the beginning mm -hmm. it wasn't just like you know let's take a look at you know it didn't like open with the present day and then like go misty eyed and like cut to the beginning like I quite liked that they just like went straight for it yeah same goes for another episode I really liked which I've forgotten the name of but the one where they show that one day in the in the eyes of different New Yorkers yeah I think that's just called New York I love you or yeah something. and it's so it passes between different characters as they kind of encounter each other, most of whom we don't. So we see Devon Arnold at the beginning mm. and then they walk past a doorman and then you're seeing a bit of the doorman story. Yeah. And then the, the doorman's friend and it yeah, kind of moves really around from there. And it, that's the episode as well where it's got the, the deaf couple yes. in it. And yeah. like, so you get no sound for the whole time yeah. that they're on screen, which is a really clever effect. Yeah. And I think a lot of people said like, oh, the best episodes of this series of Master of None were the ones which Dev wasn't in, really. Mm. And, you know, the ones that tried to show other people's perspectives on living in New York that are maybe less privileged, because obviously it is a show that sort of has so much privilege, even if it's not necessarily like white privilege, like we see in a lot of shows. And I, I get that. But I did really love those final episodes. Yeah, with I Dev, did too. And yeah. uh, I thought they were like, so, so good. I just thought it was a really interesting series as a whole. I, I did. I loved the bits where he went off piste and was like, actually, let's just have some random New Yorkers in this episode. Mm. And yeah, like, let's make sure that we can, you know, we use a bit of with this deaf couple and do something more interesting for the audience and get a sense of other people's lives. And I really liked the ones that were more similar to Master of None season one. And I really liked the ones that were more cinematic and weirdly influenced by Italian cinema. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's just, it's such a mishmash of different things, but it, it works yeah. really well. And it's a really impressive synthesis of those things. Mm. So yeah, I'm really glad to have watched it and I do hope they make a series three. So from one millennial New York program to another, one show that we really enjoyed that we discussed in episode 99 at the end of June was Search Party, which came out at the end of last year and we just got onto it recently and we discussed maybe the first few episodes in episode 99, but both of us became addicted to this show and really burnt through it really, really fast. I mean, she's missing. Well, where is she? That's, that's the question. Why? Portia, no one at the table knows. Oh my God, I feel like I'm about to cry. I know, right? I mean, it's insane. Don't worry. 
sleep with that waiter a few years ago? I don't. What is up with you, Dory? Dory, how is it that you are so good at all the stuff no one else wants to do? Yeah. I'm just happy I can help. Chantal? I think that you just randomly decided that this matters to you. Chantal? Because you don't have anything else. It's both a mystery show and a sort of like satirical comedy of like what people, what young people living in New York today are like. So it's got all that humour that we're sort of used to, but with a noirish gripping plot that just means that you're like, wait, end of episode? Press play on another. Press play on another. Yeah. Every episode's got a great cliffhanger. We just whizzed through it, didn't we? So yeah, it focuses on Dory, who's a young woman played by Alia Shawcat, who's you know trying to find herself career and relationship-wise. And she kind of diverts all of her energies into finding this missing college acquaintance that she like sees on a missing poster, Chantel. Mm-hmm. And all the surrounding characters, all at various points, question why on earth she's doing it because she didn't really know Chantel that well like they weren't that close she hasn't kept up with her since college but Dory's like I know I can find her someone needs to help her why isn't anyone taking this seriously so she does a lot of like amateur detective work so fun which is really fun you know she meets this private investigator who's also looking for Chantel and like teams up with him and ends up having a kind of affair with him Mm -hmm. so her life is kind of spiraling at the same time as she's trying to essentially use her focus on this case to like feel in control yeah totally but I just love the way that every episode like the final scene will be like a kind of intervention where someone's like hey dory you need to like stop worrying about this and she's like okay fine i'm gonna like stop and then she like finds another clue yeah and you're like sucked straight back in Mm -hmm. and some of the cliffhanger endings were so good like when she finds an ultrasound in chantelle's like bedroom when they're like at the house for a vigil and i don't know i loved the weird pregnancy cult episode Mm. was like I think my favorite of the whole thing. And then she like goes back and sees them like literally surrounding a woman about to give birth. And it's like really creepy and just really weird. And my favorite thing about that pregnancy cult is the way it just doesn't come back. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't <laughs> recur. Like it. yeah. It's like, it feels like you've had this massive discovery in Europe is that you're going to blow this case wide open and it's got like weird cultish links. And then it's just like a complete red herring and never comes back. And to give the massive, massive spoiler of the season. So, I mean, why are you listening to this episode if you haven't seen these shows? But Mm. (laughs) to give a massive spoiler, they're all red herrings because Chantel is not missing for lack of choice. She's chosen to disappear. And all the kind of clues that we were so attached to, like the ultrasound, have really simple and quite actually Mm -hmm. obvious explanations when you start looking into it. It's a bit like that Missing Richard Simmons podcast that we listened to um, when we discussed on Seriously back in the day where it's like twist and turn, twist and turn, twist and turn. And then, oh, no, actually, there's like nothing really wrong. But by the time they realise that it's kind of too late and they've killed Keith, who's the, <laughs> who's the PI who's kind of been teaming up with Elliot Dory. And yeah. It's just that really horrific. last episode is handled so brilliantly because oh. they've gone on this massive road trip to Canada because they've finally worked out that that's where Chantal is. They find her like living in this empty rich person's summer house and she explains and she's really surprised to see them because she is not in danger or doesn't feel missing and she's Mm -hmm. just and she gives this really self-involved very stereotypically millennial speech where she's like yeah everything was just like too much for me and I really had to get away so I like borrowed my friend's rich mum's house and now I'm here and it's just been so hard for me because I just don't know where to get quinoa Mm. and Dory's increasingly like what What the fuck have i done because yeah like keith the pi that she's been hooking up with has followed them there it becomes obvious that keith is not who he says he is because he says he he said he was a pi hired by the family and the family have like literally never heard of him and have no idea who this person keith is i think we're meant to assume that he's just a stranger who became interested in the reward money no yeah it shows that he he is a pi of a kind because he does the kind of work where he like follows people's cheating husbands and takes pictures mm-hmm. of them because we get a little flashback of him doing that and while he's doing that he sees the like missing poster with the reward on a board next to him and he's just like oh and grabs the poster mm-hmm. and so i think from that you're meant to infer that like he's just a stranger who sees that he could maybe make some money by mm-hmm. using his skills to find this person but he does become an increasingly threatening mm-hmm. presence because he's a big guy 
he could quite clearly, obviously, overpower Dory physically if he wanted to. They're having this kind of affair. He becomes a bit weird and clinging about it. She doesn't really want to be seeing him, but she's too scared to tell him that because she's worried about being alone with him. And then when he turns up at the house, when Dory has told him that she thinks Chantel's in Canada, and then he... Is, is that right? And I think then, so, yeah. And then he, he, she's actually like just upstate or something and he figures that out too and then he's there at the same time as her and she's like oh god he's gonna be so angry because i lied to him and he's probably here to come and like kill me and that's when she like attacks him back because he does really physically start on her doesn't he yeah well i think he's kind of creeping around the house to try and find out you know why mm-hmm. why is dory here all the rest of it and i can't remember exactly how but like everything gets really out of hand i think he's got a gun i think that's what makes them freak out God, um, I can't remember now. And but they it's... like hit him from behind with something really heavy and he dies. Yeah. And poor Drew, the hapless boyfriend who didn't really want to be involved in this at all, is kind of, it's too late. Yeah. He's already involved himself and basically can like become a con- an accessory to murder. <laughs> yeah. But so the whole time that Chantal is giving her really self-involved speech, showing that, you know, everything you've just seen in like the last nine episodes was all just totally run of the mill stuff that Dory read too much into. Mm-hmm. Like you can see this little pool of blood dripping out of the yeah. cupboard where they've hidden Keith's Keith body, is bleeding out. and then it just ends, and you're like, "What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> What's going to happen?" It's so great because it just completely like, I don't know, it frustrates you at every turn. This program, and it's so funny whilst doing it, and it's so gripping whilst doing it. And I haven't seen something like that on TV in such a long time, mm. and I hope it's really influential because I'd love to watch more shows like that. I yeah, absolutely definitely. loved watching it. And I think there has been talk about a second season. Really? Yeah, because it feels like in one sense you could never do a second season of that show because, you know, we've seen what's behind the curtain and it's it can't go back. So we're not going to have another kind of like mystery thing going on. But we do now now have two characters who have murdered someone Mm. and are trying to hide it. So I feel like that would work quite well in a different way as the kind of like crimey element of the plot if actually they were the criminals yeah how would they you know get away with it whilst having brunch with their annoying friend who lied about his cancer yeah i loved the elliot subplot Mm. where he's exposed with like a piece on the atlantic about how his whole sob story about having cancer that he was using to fundraise for stuff was just made up i love this show because the characters that are set up as jokes do have these like weird serious moments Mm. and Portia who we talked about last in the last time we talked about search party who has this surprising moment at the dinner table where she says you know maybe I'm my own kind of smart you're like wow this comedy character is having a serious moment and she has another moment like that when they're discussing how Elliot lied about his cancer and she has tells this heartbreaking story about how her dad died of cancer and how it's really offensive to her because she never gets to have a dad and Elliot gets to have a life and Elliot's really like traumatized and he's like, I'm so sorry, you never told me that. And then she says like, maybe it didn't happen. <laughs> maybe I just lied to you. How would that make you feel? And he's like, wait, what? Wait, are you telling the truth or not? And she's like, mm, dunno. And that just like leaves it at that. And yeah. you're like, oh. And she doesn't seem to have a dad, so it could be true, and you never really know. And it's this really like moving moment in the story. And I really I don't know, that, that melding of genres enables this show to do some really great writing that just kind of destabilizes you as an as an audience member. And I mm. love that. Just so clever. Yeah. So yeah, very much hope Search Party comes back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So now we're going to talk about another great show. We're so lucky, aren't we? We're going to talk about Catastrophe, which is a comedy starring and written by Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan about two people who meet, have a several night stand, end up getting pregnant and then basically have a family together. I was just thinking that maybe we should have some sex. I just jerked off. What? Why? Well, you and I haven't really been... Where? In the basement. In the basement. I don't want to get too ripped on day one. What's happening with you and Shannon? We have a wavelength. We communicate verbally and non-verbally. Some feels not right. What's wrong with your face? Are you farting? You look creepy. Are you kidding me with all this? What, you think I slept with someone else or... Did you? Don't be nuts. Why do fools fall in love, yeah. I was upset about the fact that you wouldn't apologize or admit that you'd done anything wrong. And, you know, it's a tough time. There's a lot of... Brexit, you know, your new president. Don't put that on me. Do you want me to sleep on the sofa? Or we could sleep in the same bed, but just, you know, head to toe. No, I don't want you to lacerate my face with your white walker toenails. How long are you going to stay in bed for? Just till tomorrow. So just the 17 hours. We talked about this in episode 97. And that wasn't that long ago. That was the 13th of June. Yeah, so we finally watched this after, I feel like, dozens of recommendations from Seriously Listeners. Mm-hmm. You were like, you guys will love this. You have to watch it. Why haven't you watched it? And I don't know, but we finally did. And you were all right. We absolutely adored it. Oh, my God. All three seasons of this, I think, are amazing in mm. different ways because they're tackling completely different things. So season one is about Rob and Sharon falling in love and deciding to like commit to each other. Season two is about them like suddenly having a two person family and like trying to cope with that. And then season three is about like marriage over time, I feel Mm -hmm. like, and like when the problems start to appear in a marriage or in a family, indeed. And yeah, I really, really love every season. I feel like equally because that it's so funny and you care about them so much. Yeah, that's the thing. I care about these characters more than I think I have about any on TV for so long. Mm. It's also worth noting that even though like Rob Delaney is American and is like a big comedian and stuff, this show has been made, I think, in Britain with British money. Mm. So as always, there's only six episodes in each series. Yeah. So they are like these little vignettes. It's not like 24 episodes going into loads of details so there's lots of gaps that you can infer things into i feel like which really suits the writing style yeah so season one ends with them getting married and i think sharon's water breaking in the hotel after they like have an argument on the night of their honeymoon in a hotel and then season two starts and sharon is pregnant and you're like oh maybe it was a false alarm or maybe it's picking up like exactly and then you're like 
oh wait no they then a little this toddler their second like storms kid. into the room and, and they're like oh frankie frankie and you're like oh shit they, this is their like second baby they've been together like mm. maybe three or four years now which is a really surprising thing to do but actually really works because you do want to just get straight into the like mm. family dynamic and you still get to see all the difficulties of like postnatal depression and things like that that are a good subject area to to look into when you're doing a program about someone who's just given birth but you get to do it with the backdrop of them like having a different house and like knowing each other's parents and like all of that kind of stuff comes a lot more naturally which is really great but yeah it's just you can tell that they've made it with so much love and i think that's why it just like keeps you addicted to finding out what happens in their lives because season two i feel like nothing that dramatic happens yeah i can't remember any major events and then season three is where rob quits his job yeah it's loads of things happen rob like ends up flirting with a woman at work in a way that isn't really his fault but like he's still participated Mm. in it and has to take time off work for sexual harassment (laughs) sharon's obviously fuming and then like cheats on rob and doesn't remember doing it so then she kind of lies about it but Mm. also kind of isn't lying because she can't remember what happens and then she's lying about why she's taking the morning after pill and rob's getting increasingly suspicious and really unhappy and then rob tries to go back to work and really hates his job and he starts drinking again and then sharon's dad gets sick and like there's all this like drama but it is very relatable drama that happens to real people in real marriages all the time and it's so cleverly structured as well because you feel like at every point okay so if they just have a moment to breathe rob can like tell her what's going on he can get help and it'll all be fine yeah the same with earlier in the season with when it's sharon cheating yeah. like, right if she just takes a minute and like admits what happens like this will be fine he'll understand he's like a pretty understanding guy like it will be okay but that's not how it works like every time you're like oh and now she can tell him it's like oh her dad gets sick oh now mm. he can tell her ah oh, this happens like it just constantly like thing upon thing upon thing to like really ratchet up the tension yeah and sharon does tell him about her affair and they do work through it and you feel like they've really got somewhere Mm. but rob's drinking is still happening isn't it in the penultimate episode she's gone over to ireland because her dad's ill and he's like on his own with the kids and he's like drinking more and just getting more Mm. and more stressed about it and finally he obviously decides like i have to tell her about it and i have to tell her about it now so he like packs up the kids goes to ireland and the last scene you see him like he knocks on the door and Sharon opens it and he's like I have to tell you something and she goes how did you know my dad just died and so even then like he's come like 99% (laughs) of the way towards telling her and then something dreadful happens and he can't and so then we get the I mean I was nearly hysterical while watching the last episode of this I was so stressed so the final scenes, uh, Sharon goes out to chat to her friend, Fran. And I have to say that Fran and Chris, for me, are some of the best things about this <laughs> whole show. They're just absolutely hysterical. Fran's played by Maggie, whose surname I've forgotten, who's in uh, Extras and Ugly Betty. And Chris is played by Mark Bernard, Love of My Life, from New Blood <laughs> and other British TV shows. And they're just both so funny. It, like sh- It's like, oh, stop, I'm crying. You're mm. killing me. But yeah, so Sharon goes to get a drink with Fran who wants to talk about like her affairs and her dissolving marriage and gets really really drunk rob goes to pick her up and as soon as he says yeah i'll come and get you you're a bit like has he been drinking has he been drinking and we don't know we haven't seen him have a drink that he's already said to chris oh i haven't had a drink today and you kind of believe him when he says it and he goes to pick her up she's being a bit of a drunk idiot runs out of the car in a way that's like really dangerous and your just heart is in your mouth because this isn't a show with high danger but you just know something's wrong the whole time he was driving around in the car i was like something dreadful is going to happen yeah yeah and it's very out of character for the program but you're like uh-huh, uh, something terrible is about to happen she runs into the pizza place is getting a pizza He's a bit like, for fuck's sake, like got to try and turn around. I think he's actually driving fine. I don't think he's Mm. driving badly, but a car just comes out of nowhere and like hits him in the side. And then his head is bleeding and Sharon runs out and she's like, Rob, are you okay? Oh my God, what's happened? I'm calling for an ambulance, calling for an ambulance. And he goes, are the police coming? And she's like, an ambulance, I hope. And he's like, no, but the police are going to come and they're going to breathalyze me and I'm not going to pass it. And that's the first she even hears that he's Mm. started to drink again. It's just an incredibly bold way to end the season, especially because this is like a domestic comedy. It's not like this big dramatic program. And... I really hope they make a season four. Are they making a season four? I I'll don't cry know. If they're not making a season four. But I feel like they must because 
it's been so successful like it's had loads of pickup in america as well as here you know it got shown on amazon prime as well as on channel 4 here so it definitely has an audience i really really hope they keep making it me too and shout out to carrie fisher in her Mm. last role as rob's mum and she is absolutely hysterical and playing a character that you kind of suspect is maybe quite close to her real life (laughs) personality but less horrible i'm sure because she's quite like caustic and sarcastic and very very clever and very witty and she's got her real dog carrie fisher's (laughs) dog is like rob's mum's dog in the show just there with its big tongue like lolling out because she spent a lot of time in sort of like paddington didn't she didn't she have a house like yeah i think so yeah so she kind of just fits in with that kind of like leafy london townhouse vibe that the show sort of has I'm very envious of all the properties. I know, um, the house is amazing. Yeah, but I love that role. And just every performance in this. I think the performances absolutely make it. Like the writing is obviously incredible. The performances are obviously incredible. There's just no reason not to watch this show. So the fourth thing we're going to talk about is scum because it completely took over my life and Caroline you haven't quite kept up with it in the same way but it literally has just changed my entire worldview and my brain and my language speaking skills because (laughs) I have learned rudimentary at best Norwegian. (laughs) Yeah I'm so jealous of this I really wish I'd devoted the time to it while you were doing it because just the bits you've told me about it and the little bits I've seen just look amazing. Oh well I'll bore you with it now because it is so good. (laughs) So we talked about this in episode 82 it's a Norwegian teen drama it follows kids at a school called Hartvig Nissen School in Oslo each season follows a different protagonist. Season one was Eva. Season two was Nora. Season three was Isak. And season four, which came out this year, was Sana. So we watched a few episodes of Eva's season, the first yeah. season on episode 82, which was all sort of about female friendship and Eva's like loneliness and her trying to find new friends. And then season two, which was about probably my favorite character, and she is like a cliched favorite to have, but Nora, who is kind of the friend that Eva finds when she's like desperately looking for she's such a badass yeah she's great and she's just so beautiful which i think is obviously part of her appeal and she has great clothes her season is all about falling in love with someone that her friend really fancies i think a bit of that happens in season one but his name's william and vilda who's just actually i take it back vilda is definitely my favorite character (laughs) in this program because she's like deeply unwoke and like says terrible things and is like a caricature of the basic white girl but people always underestimate her as a result and she is actually like very kind and like trying very hard she just doesn't have like the vocabulary or like i don't know the social skills sometimes to really be super great but it's yeah it's about that kind of love triangle where vilda thinks she's really in love with William but doesn't really know him and he's really horrible to her Nora is quite resistant to William the whole time because she's like you're a bit of a fuck boy and I don't like this whole thing and William is super in love with Nora and it's like changing his personality as a result and it's a bit unbelievable at times for such a realistic program because who is this like I don't know super rich fuck boy who like meets the girl of his dreams and then his entire personality is reinvented (laughs) you know but again it's really good on female friendship and my favorite aspect of this season was Vilda because she knows that William sort of fancies Nora and Nora's much thinner than her she like stops eating essentially and Nora who is a recovered anorexic sort of helps her through that and they have this really lovely scene where they're like chopping up potatoes to make tortilla which is apparently made with potatoes in Norway and she's like telling her about how like potatoes are good you need potatoes to survive and it's funny because you know potatoes are full of starch which is really good for people who feel tired and you often say to me that you feel tired a lot of the time and they're like chopping it together and then later in the season when Nora is basically sexually assaulted which is like the big turn of the season Mm. Vilda starts making her like potato tortilla to get her (laughs) through it and it's like the sweetest thing you've ever seen and the sexual assault plot line is really really like well done yeah you wrote a piece about this at the time didn't you yeah Yeah, it's just really good on the like i feel like a lot of rape on tv is like horrible brutal rape and i think a lot of women have experiences that they couldn't characterize in that way but that they know were dodgy and that they know made them feel really really terrible afterwards and basically what happens to nora is william's brother gets her drunk 
and she blacks out and she wakes up the next day and she can't remember what happened but she wakes up and she's naked and then later in the day he sends her a picture of herself naked in the bed and he's like you were crazy last night and she can't remember anything and she doesn't know what to do and she does because she's underage she does end up reporting it to the police and actually goes in her favor and it's it's an interesting one because actually she finds out that nothing happened, which is difficult because a lot of people have experiences where they can't just find out that nothing happened. You know, it's kind of like it's a bit of like an escape route that a lot of people yeah. don't actually end up having in their assault. But he still took pictures of her naked and she manages to record him sort of threatening her over like releasing these images. And she takes that to the police and then he gets done for child porn and he goes to prison. So it's a really good plot line for, I don't know, like talking about consent and, you know, how someone who's too drunk to consent can't consent to anything and that and it kind of thing does underline as well something we talked about when we first talked about this show which is how good it is at like social media and communication yeah um, i mean i know i mean i've seen you doing this like you've been like learning norwegian so that you yeah, can like yeah. translate <laughs> texts and stuff but yeah this is part of the production isn't it that they release the characters instagrams and all this kind of stuff as well as the episode exactly and it's so addictive which is why i just kept up with it and then season three is about Isaac and evan which is the season that really made scum take off like in terms of its popularity because it's just a really really good portrayal of a gay relationship that like mm. mainstream tv it's just not caught up with and it's very tender and it's very like about emotion and it's not like super sexualized but they do also have sex which is you know they have really like hot sex scenes which is good i did love that season scum for me is all about the female friendship plot lines that's why i watch it and i was surprised to be so like interested and moved by the sort of love story between these two guys because it's just not what i expected from that show but it is amazing and then the final season which i watched live because all these other ones i was sort of catching up with mm. and then season four which was sana's plot line who's this like very great kind of sometimes overly sassy and wise as a defense mechanism because she's the only like muslim student in the gang or specifically muslim woman in their gang and she's just a great character and you really get to see her like emotional side because in the first three seasons she has been a bit of like a will deliver the hard truth or the punchline sort of character rather than someone that you're like is she okay she has emotions mm. and then in the fourth season you get all of that and as you say, that's the one where I was like seeing clips drop, like 10 minute clips at like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. And I would be like watching them in Norwegian with my like Norwegian, you know, language app open at the same time, trying desperately to watch it with like Twitter in another window where these amazing Twitter accounts just translate everything from Norwegian into English as soon as any new clip drops. And that was an amazing experience just to be like part of the fandom as well mm. as like enjoying the show that I really, really loved. So yeah, it's just been a phenomenon, an international phenomenon. But even aside from all the like amazing innovative things it's doing with like social media and the way that you watch this program live, if you're a newcomer to it, at its core, it's just a very, very good drama that's yeah. well made, well written, well acted that everyone could get into. So do watch scum if you want to figure out ways to watch it there are ways and they are making an american remake now so i've watched series one i haven't watched any of the rest of it yet but i fully intend to how do we feel about this because they're not making any more norwegian they're version, not it right? finished yeah, yeah sana's season was the final season which is so sad because i wanted a vilda plot line <laughs> i love vilda so much i really wanted her to have her own season and so did so many fans so it's been a bittersweet ending to this show because i think the fans have really wanted it to carry on instead of that they're getting this american remake which the show's creator Yuliandum is really really involved with so her involvement makes me think that it could actually be good but mm. i'm skeptical because so much of what made scum a great show was how grounded it was with the reality of norwegian teenage life Yuliandum interviewed norwegian teenagers for six months before she even started writing it and that comes across so well and the whole structure of it is basically based around norwegian school customs yeah that's why i'm so confused like what will the rus be Exactly. Yeah. Rus is this sort of like end of term celebration where everyone rents a bus for like a month and everyone wears like matching outfits and gets wasted every day mm. for like weeks, six weeks, I think. And Americans don't have that. They only have like prom. And if they use prom, then I'm going to be like, oh, this just nobody cares about prom in the same way that. So I don't really know how it's going to go. And they are keeping the same character season structure. So okay. they will. It will be like Eva, Nora, Isaac and sana i imagine they will give them different names but other than that they're going to be the same characters so i don't really know how it's going to work but it's one of those things where 
I don't know, where you're like, this is good. This is, this is good, right? We'll yeah. take it. We've got nothing else. <laughs> yeah. This better be good. I don't know. I mean, I know it's not in any way the same, but I can't help thinking a bit about how, you know, when the, the whole like Scandi noir thing really mm-hmm. took off with shows like The Killing and The Bridge and, and stuff. And then they remade those. And then they, they remade those in America. And didn't, I haven't heard much about no, those. No, like it just didn't really, they even, you know, they remade, it's not Scandi noir, but they remade Broadchurch. Yeah, they called it Grace Point or something, didn't in, they? In America. And David Tennant was, was in, in it, in it <laughs> as well. And like that kind of bombed as well. I don't know. I think British TV production has kind of got its head around the fact that people will watch stuff with subtitles. They really don't mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the bridge was getting amazing audiences on BBC four, like BBC totally. four never like cracks a million and it was doing, mm. you know, it was doing really well. So they didn't try and remake it, mm. but I guess in America, they still think they need to remake stuff. Yeah. It's a weird strategy, isn't it? Cause yeah. there are not many American remakes apart from the office that I can think of that mm. actually really worked. And that only worked because it basically became a different show. Yeah. So. It deviated so much. I don't know basically, but I will be watching. So yeah. we'll find out. We'll keep you updated thanks for listening to this episode of seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode we're available in all the usual places you get podcasts including on apple podcasts where you could also leave us a review we'd really appreciate it we've got lots of events coming up this summer including festivals live episodes and of course quizzes find out more and buy tickets at seriouslypod.com slash events we're available many other places on the internet including on twitter facebook and tumblr with seriously pod on all of them we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year 100,000 mile limited warranty you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.